Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to be in front of you today to uh, preach the Word of God. And uh, I want to pray about that right now before we get started. Dear Lord, I ask that you would guide me through this text and that you would open our hearts to hear only what you have to say, God, so that we could apply your Word to our lives in the things that we do this coming week. Lord, help us to understand what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I, I, I agree with, uh, with Bruce about how the old law can be just so, so complicating and, and overwhelming. There, there's so many so many of them, and reading through that, it's, it's just like something that uh, seems unattainable. And I'm sure that the folks before Jesus felt that way. And uh, just overwhelming feeling of, how can I ever do enough or measure up? So I am grateful for Jesus, because He came to give his life so that we could narrow our objective down to basically one thing. The objective of life would be, because of Jesus, getting to heaven and taking others with us. Let me put that in another way. The objective of life is being a disciple and making other disciples. Jesus tells us that in Matthew chapter 28. Now some of you might be a, a little competitive. Do we have any competitive folks here today? Maybe you're excited about the Super Bowl coming up and you get worked up about that kind of a thing. If, if that's the case, you're one of those competitive people, then I've made a scoreboard, kind of a kingdom scoreboard, for us to keep track. We're going to use this scoreboard to keep track as we go through the book of John. Now, understand that it is not my place to judge who goes to heaven or hell. This is just my interpretation of where the person stands as we go through the text. I'm talking about the people in the scripture that we read about. I'm not going to put y'all's names up here. So this is just my interpretation based upon the text. So, so far, this year in our study of the Gospel of John, we've met four disciples, we've read about John the Baptist, and I think we could all agree that John the Baptist goes on the winning side. Let's put him on the eternal life side. And I say eternal life because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So we can say that there's an eternal life side on your right, and there's a perishing side on the left. Perishing, not getting eternal life. And John the Baptist, uh, well, he goes on the eternal life side. He's on the Jesus team. At the wedding in Cana, we read about Jesus' mother Mary. And I think it's safe to say that 
Mary believed in Jesus before he was even born. So, let's put Mary on the eternal life side. She's on Jesus' team. And then John the Baptist pointed, to, pointed his disciples to Andrew. Or, no, he pointed his disciple Andrew to Jesus. And Andrew trusts John, so he believes in Jesus. So let's just go ahead and put Andrew over on the internal life side. Well, Andrew tells his brother, Peter, and we read from Matthew chapter 5, actually it's Luke chapter 5, that Peter took a little bit of convincing before Jesus had him hooked. That convincing was in the shape of a net full of fish. Andrew gets Peter, brings Peter. Peter is not so sure about Jesus. And then Jesus says, go out and throw your net down. He says, man, I, I fished all night. There's no fish. But Peter does it anyway, pulls in a net full of fish, and he's like, okay, I'm in. So let's put Peter on the eternal life side. And Jesus uh, found Philip. Remember Philip? Philip seems to have jumped right in on the winning team. So, another one for the kingdom of God. And Philip says, hey, I know another fella that needs to know about Jesus. And he goes to find Nathaniel. Nathaniel meets Jesus and he's in. Next thing John records is Jesus driving the merchants and the money changers out of the temple. When they were selling stuff in the temple, they were working for themselves. They weren't working for Jesus. They were there to gain for themselves. So based on that, I'm going to put them on the left side. Now, I hope that I get to heaven and at least some of these merchants and money changers come up to me to me and say, you remember that sermon that you preached on February 4, 2024? You put me on the wrong side. I hope that's the case. I hope they say, because after that I started following Jesus. And folks, it is very, very possible. And that is something that we need to keep in mind. Lord, Lord gives us a second chance and a third chance. And Lord uh, knows that we need that. So, in today's text, in John chapter 3, we meet a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Now I know what you're all thinking when you hear the title Pharisee. Go ahead and put him on the perishing side. But not so fast. Let's read it first. John chapter, tw chapter 3, actually chapter 2, verse 23 because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in Him. But Jesus didn't trust them because He knew all about people. No one needed to tell Him about human nature, for He knew what was in each person's heart. Pause right there for a minute. How does that make you feel? That Jesus knows about people. He knows all about 
human nature and what's in each one of our hearts. That's scary. Humbling at the least. He knows. But listen, Jesus knows what's in your heart and yet He still loves you. But these people in particular, they didn't fully trust Jesus. Why is that? Why is it that they didn't fully trust? It's because they only trusted because of the miraculous signs that he did. Their faith was based on what they could see with their eyes. Verse 2 says there was a man named Nicodemus. A Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Now why did Nicodemus come after dark? Why would he do that? Well, Pharisees, they carry a certain amount of prestige, you know. And if they were seen with Jesus, it might make them lose credibility as a Pharisee. They might lose status. They might have to choose sides sooner than he wanted to. He wants to get the information in a safe way before he jumps in. He says in, in chapter two, or in verse three, chapter two, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you. sent you to teach us. Miraculous signs are the evidence that God is with you. Now, who's we all? We all know that God has sent you. What's he talking about there? Evidently, Nicodemus is speaking on behalf of his team. You know, the same people that he tried to hide his meeting with Jesus from. His team of Pharisees. He didn't want them to see him, so he went to see Jesus in the dark. And so he's speaking on behalf of these people. Now, it's neat that apparently there's at least a small group of these guys that are taking note of Jesus. They're just not ready to join Team Jesus yet. I think it's because they are focusing on what they can see with their eyes. The miraculous signs and the visual evidence. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Translation, if you want to see the kingdom of God with your own eyes, you have to be born again. Born again, Nicodemus is all about seeing. Jesus says you have to be born again to see the kingdom. And Nicodemus is basically... What? What do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? See, Nicodemus is trying to see with his eyes physically, and physically, that ain't working. An old man going back into his mother's womb. It's just not working. And so Jesus replied, I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. 
The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Now you've got to admit, it's hard to wrap your mind around understanding what faith is, believing in something you can't see with your eyes, being born of the Spirit and being saved from uh, eternal death because of the things that you can't see? How are these things possible? Jesus replied, verse 10, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Notice Jesus says, we. We tell you what we know and have seen. Now look at our scoreboard. Speaking of this term, Jesus and his disciples are already in action. So Jesus uh, says, we, is these people are already at work. They're already uh, preaching the gospel message. And I think it's interesting that Nicodemus is saying, we believe that God has sent you. And Jesus says, uh, we can say whatever we want, but you won't believe our testimony. Now, it seems maybe sometimes like at this moment where Jesus and Nicodemus are talking in the night that, that maybe they have other people with them. Maybe the disciples are there and maybe uh, other Pharisees are there with Nicodemus, but we don't really get uh, any context around that, most likely they were by themselves and were again talking about teams. And in the scripture that we just read, Jesus is still emphasizing belief over seeing. Hey, we, him and his disciples, can tell you everything that we've seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. Verse 13 says, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. Remember the bronze snake? Numbers chapter 21 when the Israelites, they were in the wilderness complaining about eating manna and the Lord sent poisonous snakes out there and people were getting bit and dying. And the Lord told Moses that everyone who got bit could look at the bronze snake that he had Moses make and that they would not die of the snake bite if they laid eyes on that snake. Well, it's time for everyone to look for Jesus to look at Jesus, and it's time to take it beyond just looking. It's time to start believing. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus here. Verse 16, Because God so loved the world, 
He loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes, not just sees, that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through Him. The most well-known Bible verse of all time was spoken to Nicodemus after dark in a secluded place. And yet somehow, folks, it made it out of that dark place and onto the pages of millions of Bibles and has changed millions of lives since that night. There's perhaps no better verse that wraps up the whole Gospel message then John 3.16. How do you think those words were received by Nicodemus? Surely, surely he didn't want to perish. Surely he wanted eternal life. Surely he understood what it is to be loved by God. But did he believe that Jesus was God's Son? Jesus continues with verse 18. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Him, but anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. They loved not seeing. They didn't want to see. They wanted to stay that way. It's very ironic actually. Nicodemus and others like him, they wanted signs and miracles that they could see so they could believe, but they didn't want to be seen with Jesus. Verse 20, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. So that they can see. Now, here's some key points about being and making a disciple that I think that we can pull from this interaction with Nicodemus. Number one, you have to believe. You have to believe. You know, there will be times in our life when we have questions just like Nicodemus did. How are these things possible, we're going to ask. How does faith and belief work? But let me tell you, you don't have to be experts on what faith is. You don't have to fully understand how the Spirit works, but you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is the only, the only ticket to heaven. Stuart Chase once said, For those who believe, no proof is necessary. For those who don't believe, no proof is possible. It's really good, you know, when we believe something, you don't need to prove it to but those who don't, it doesn't matter what you tell them. It seems like there's no way you can make them believe. So to be a disciple and to make a disciple, you have to believe first. 
And to make a disciple and to be a disciple, you have to understand the difference seeing and believing. It's not enough just to believe in what you see because your eyes can deceive you. You have to take God at His word and you have to expect it to be true in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It says, For we live by... What is that? Believing. And not by seeing. Seeing is not the same as believing. How many times have we heard that? Seeing is believing And yet that's the opposite of what the Scripture teaches us. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. To be a disciple and to make a disciple, you have to understand the difference between believing and seeing. Now, to be a disciple and to make a disciple, you also have to be seen. You have to be seen. The last thing that Jesus said to Nicodemus, chapter uh, 3, verse 20, says, All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Well, that, that's interesting that he puts it quite frankly. If you come into the light, your sins will be exposed. That's a good thing. But those who do evil don't want that. Those who do what is right come to the light so others can see it. You can live a life uh, talking to Jesus only at night and in the cover of darkness, but that won't make any disciples. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on the stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Don't put a basket over top of your life. God has given you a light. You're reflecting His glory. Let it shine so that others might see. So, where are we going to put Nicodemus? Where are we going to put him? He comes to Jesus at night so that others can't see him. He doesn't seem to understand the difference between seeing and believing. And he sees that Jesus is from God, but will he believe in Jesus? Now thankfully, thankfully, Nicodemus is mentioned two other times in Scripture. The next time is in the seventh chapter of John. Jesus is teaching the crowds. And many of them were saying that he must be the Messiah. And the Pharisees said, 
the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee. And they asked the temple guards in uh, verse 45, why didn't you bring him in? We've never heard anyone speak like this, the guard responded. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? Is there a single one who believes? Guess who was there listening? Guess who was there at that time? Verse 50, Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? He asked. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. I love it. Nicodemus sticks up for Jesus against the other Pharisees. He's starting to come out now. And then, when Jesus died on the cross, does anyone remember who got permission to take down Jesus' body? It was Joseph of Arimathea. And guess who went with Joseph of Arimathea? Chapter 19, verse 39 of John. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment and made, or made from myrrh and aloes. It isn't night this time. And that's a lot of perfumed ointment. You know what? I'm going to put Nicodemus right here on the eternal life side. Actually, he's not there. <laughs> I meant to put him there. Oh, yeah, he is. He is. Okay, right, right below Nicodemus. Sorry. Seeing things. I'm going to put him there because he took the, the chance of stepping out in faith. He took the chance of being ridiculed by other Pharisees. He decided it was worth it. He seems to put his faith in Jesus and then after Jesus' death, he gives greatly. But I have one more question for you. Where is your name on this kingdom scoreboard. If it's not on the right side under eternal life, then you know what you have to do to get it there? Believe in Jesus. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord for giving us the opportunity of eternal life. I thank you that sometimes, uh, sometimes even though we doubt, like Nicodemus had questions, you're always there. And you're always ready to forgive us and to give us encouragement to draw us to you, Lord. We thank you that 
even though we do things that we don't want to do, you're still there to forgive us. Lord, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus. Thank you that we can be on this team. Praise you for all that you've done. We ask that you would help us to make disciples like you've commanded us. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.